What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Champion School Podcast. I'm your host, Austin Byler, and today, a great friend and a very special guest, Tony Schifano, San Francisco State's head baseball coach. Um, not only an amazing human being, an amazing coach, I'm doing a lot of great things up there in the Bay Area, um, developing a ton of leaders. We talk a lot about leadership, uh, the mental side of the game, um, preparing athletes for the next step in their life, and, and coaches doing that for sure there. He's got a great coaching staff, Cam Rowland, one of my great buddies, um, the pitching coach over there, played with him at Nevada. And just being able to spend some time around the organization this fall and the spring and seeing the culture that they've developed there. San Francisco State is it's second to none, and it's really awesome to watch and, and be a part of. So, Coach Stefano, man, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Austin. Fired up to be here, man. Gator Nation, baby. Let's go. Gator Nation, baby. What's your internal temp? Chomp, chomp in the swamp, man. I'm fired up right now. Let's go. I know Sebi's out there somewhere listening, so we're going to shout out to him somewhere. But He's probably uh, got yeah. his uniform on, uniform on right now. He hasn't, <laughs> he, hasn't, he hasn't turned it in yet. I need I need that uniform, Seabass. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um, he... He posted something on Instagram the other day of some of his guys working and you think some of your guys are doing some bench press or something like that. They're getting after it. And I just reached out. I just mentioned something. He's like, got to keep these guys on track and motivated. And I'm like, let's go, man. I love <laughs> that, it. You're that's me beautiful, up. man. He posts a, a, wiffle, a family wiffle ball game every, about every three days. It's beautiful, man. He's got like three or four brothers. You met one of them in the dugout, little Owen, our little bat boy. But they got yeah. some, they got some intense wiffle ball games going every day with the family. <laughs> oh, that's legendary. Let's go, <laughs> man. No, it's just it's a testament to the guys that you have, man. I mean, being able to spend a little bit of time around your program and um before I, I kind of we'll get into your story here in a minute, but I knew who you were. We played against or played against you when you were coaching at UC Davis and I um, always knew you were a great guy. I heard amazing things, but never got to witness it in person. And then when I got out there and got to witness just the culture that you've developed there, San Francisco State in person, the buy-in that you have from the athletes and just the, the young men that you had on your team. I mean, they were so open to learning, uh, growth mindset for sure. And, and they were totally bought in to the process. It was incredible. No, no naysaying, no negativity, no like BS, this sucks. Like it was very, very special. And then you look out on the wall and you got hashtag chomp chomp in the swamp and everybody's getting fired up, man. It was a, it's a great place to be. Thank you, man. I, I know, I know the, I really appreciate those kind words, man. Um, you were, uh, I'm going to give you a few, you're always talking how great everybody is on your show and stuff, but Austin, I'm going to talk about you for a second, what you did for our program. You know, uh, Cameron, you know, discussed it with me in the, in the summer, a little over a year ago. And, and uh, I said, yeah, I'd love to have Austin around. I remember him terrorizing us at UC Davis on Tuesdays, but uh, I, you know, I, I didn't know much about you. And then, you know, you came out and you spoke to our team, and I, I was absolutely blown away. And the guys, this is the first time in five years where the guys came to me and said, hey, Schiff, can we get that guy back as much as possible? And so that we had you back a few times. And then I'm going to tell a little quick story. We were uh, down, I think it was, God, it was maybe the first weekend or second weekend of the season. We were down two, two or three runs in the bottom of the seventh in a doubleheader game. And, and uh, I just looked down the I looked down the dugout and it was as if we were up three runs. It was no big deal. And then I and guys were fired up. And I'll tell you what, man, we rallied for three runs. I think up still hit a walk off single. And I think you got you, you felt like you were back in your playing days at Reno. And uh, I think you were as excited as anybody. But um, you were an absolute huge asset to our program. And, you know, I look back at the season. It's It was only 22 games. But. I think we came back and won five or six of those games. And as you know, that, that takes a lot of mental strength and mental training. 
to come back and win late in ball games and believe that you're that you're never out of it. And I appreciate everything you did for our program moving forward. Thank you, bud. No, I really appreciate it, Coach, and it was a pleasure to be around. And uh, Cam being able to drop the word in there, drop a nugget, and you just being bold and, and having the courage to just allow me to come in there and uh, be open with your guys, man. I think it was it was incredible to watch. I remember that game, and you're right. It took me back to my, my playing days in Nevada because our team was so resilient, and there were so many similarities with your team this year. And that's why I'm a little disappointed we couldn't see how it turned out because – Yes, uh, you may have. There may be other people in the in the conference or in the Division Two realm that have better records, but I don't think anybody had a team that was as resilient as your guys's. And you guys, like you said, you won multiple walk off games. You came back. You were never down. I mean, even if the scoreboard said you were down, it didn't matter. Like, so what? Big deal. Let's let's get after. It. Let's keep fighting for one another. And that's a championship team. And that's I just remember watching the walk off, and I'm like, there's no way that they come back here. And then I'm sitting there. I'm like, wait. Like, these dudes aren't even phased. Like, nobody's pouting. Nobody's throwing stuff. And, and mind you, to put it in context, this is game two of a doubleheader on a Saturday after you won the first two games. So now you're playing game three of this series on a Saturday. It's the second game of the day. It's six hours in. You had every right. Your athletes had every right to hang their head and say, let's cash it in, let's win it on Sunday, and let's get three out of four. And you said, no, like, screw that. We're going to win today. And I remember just watching – I'm picturing my head right now, Coach. Like, I see them in the outfield celebrating. I see you giving high fives. I think I even got a high five. I'm pumped up. And um, I got chills. Like, I've got chills right now thinking about it. And that's, that's a special unit. But it starts with the top. And I truly believe that leadership starts at the top um, with the head coach and with the coaching staff being able to instill that in their athletes, that never-give-up mindset, and, and being able to stay persistent no matter what the outcome is, no matter what the situation is, and keep chopping wood and getting after it. So – um, coach, just take us kind of through your background, man, and how you got to this point of being a head coach um, at San Francisco State and just coaching in general. Yeah, it's, it's been a long journey. Um, you know, I grew up in Southern California. I was I was a pretty good little player growing up in Little League, and but you know, I, I everybody grew went past me in, in, in the growth spurt in high school, and I was kind of a reserve player. I, I had I had skills, but I was a buck forty, you know, soaking wet, and got no recognition, no love from the colleges, and which was fine. And, and, you know, my dad uh, and mom never stopped believing in me. And, and my dad was a sales rep. And so he traveled the country and, and, you know, and he said, Hey, Tony, every time I go up to Sacramento and, and work that area, I pass on the 80, I pass the school called UC Davis and it looks great from a distance. Why don't we drive up there and meet the coaches and, you know, they're division two non-scholarship. So it's an open opportunity. And we got, we got in the, we got in the station wagon, the 1990 station wagon as a family. And, uh, you know, you could sit in the back and look backwards, right, at the people driving behind you. I'll never forget that trip. I'll never forget that trip up there. And, uh, you know, we met the coaches. I, I, I kid Coach Swimley, the head coach, he's, to this day that he, he always says, oh, I knew, Tony, when you walked in the office that you were going to be a guy for us. And I was like, you had no clue, Coach. I was a buck 40. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he said, hey, um, we'll help you get in school. And, uh and, uh, you know, the rest is the opportunity is yours. And I showed up the first day at UC Davis, man, um, for tryouts. And, and I kid you not, Austin, there was 100 guys there, 100 players trying out. And I, I went in the dorms that night and I called my dad and I said, Dad, there's no shot, man. 100 players, give me a break. There's no way they're going to recognize me. And he said, man, this is, this is life lesson number one, son. You just keep showing up until they tell you not to. And you just give everything you got. So, Austin, every single day, every single week on Friday, 
there was a cut list. And what you do is you, you went to school all week, you practiced, and then on Friday you showed up at the field and there was a, a cut list of about 10. And if you're on that list, you were done. If you weren't, you suited up and you practiced that weekend and scrimmaged. And before I knew it, it was down to 70, down to 60, down to 50, down to 40, down to 30. <clears throat> and I'd made it. And, uh, you know, I, I ended up redshirting that year because the coaches felt like I needed to physically and mentally, you know, develop, which most young freshmen do. And um, it was the best thing that ever happened to me by my, by my fifth year. I was an All-American playing every day at shortstop, and our, our team had gone to the College World Series. I, it was just a blessing the years I was there, the, the teammates I had and the coaches I had. And, and um, it was a great run. And the Marlins took notice and offered me a contract at the, on my last day of my senior day. Um, and, you know, maybe I'll share that story with you. It's a special story. I, whenever I get asked to speak at high schools or banquets, I usually share that story of how that happened. It's a great life lesson in that. But um, sign with the Marlins. Uh, Ten years later, five organizations later, I decided to hang them up at around 30 years old. Got into um, high school coaching a little bit in the Los Gatos area. And then out of nowhere, UC Davis called me and uh, asked me if I'd be interested in coming back to my alma mater and, and start a coaching career. You know, I, I was very lucky. I didn't have to go through the, the ranks of the of the volunteer or the director of ops route in my you know early 20s which a lot of young guys have to go through um so i definitely respect what they're doing on a daily basis but um i was thrown right in the fire you know uh, <laughs> like i remember my first I, I think fresno no not fresno state yeah yeah fresno state won the title that year in 08 and i remember recruiting and just looking at coach batesel from across the way and then jay johnson was starting to become a big name at usd and I was just watching them on these, on these showcases, like, you know, trying to figure out how does this work? How does this recruiting thing work? And, and I'll get deeper into that. You know, what I life lessons I learned with that, but before I knew it, um, man, I was eight years into UC Davis as an assistant, became the associate head coach. We had a, we had a few good years there at the end and uh, um, San Francisco state came calling and the head job opened up in the summer of 15. And um, I said, this is time. And I jumped at the opportunity and, I'll tell you what, there were some bumps in the road in 15, 16, and 17, but we turned the corner in 18 and had a special year in 19. And then uh, we were on, I think we were on our way. I felt like we were on our way to a very, very special year this year. Um, I think we were 14 and eight when things stopped, but we were just starting to hit our stride in conference. And, and, uh, but that's me, man. That's where I've been. You know, it's been a long journey. There's a lot of, a lot of bumps in the road along the way, but I wouldn't have traded any of those bumps in the road for where I'm at right now. Oh man, it's an incredible story, Tony. And to know like you were just this scrawny little kid growing up in Southern California. The next thing you know, you're in a division one uniform. And the next thing you know, you're in professional baseball and now you're a coach and you're all over the place. Now you're a head coach. Like the will and the fight to continue to push no matter what somebody else tells you and what labels were put on you, you knew who you were. You believed in yourself. And that was the coolest part about this is like, all these life lessons that you're able to give back to the youth now. And so then you mentioned the, the Marlins, like what are some of those life lessons? Now, now I'm curious. So now you got me, you got me hooked man. you took the bait. I think you learned from your pops with the sales pitch, but yeah, um, I'm sold, man. What's, uh, well, what's the I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a quick little story. It's, it's a good story. Yeah. And it, you know, it's, um, it's something that I, I share as much as I can. And because I, I really, I truly believe in this, you know, we can all do the work when people are watching. Right. And we all, we can all look like, you know, we're, 
we're putting the work in and, and uh, that we're the hardest workers in the world when, when everybody's watching, right? But it's about, it's about, it's the work you put in when nobody's watching, um, especially like days, the times we are right now, actually, right? So mm. I was, I had just finished my red shirt sophomore year at UC Davis. Um, and we had just, we had just gone to the College World Series. It was a very special team. And, and we, we lost eventually out in Birmingham, Alabama. And, and um, we got back, uh, oh, I'm sorry, Montgomery, Alabama. Um, my teammates are going to roast me for that. And then, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I get back and we, uh, and, um, oh shoot, I said this is my internet connection's unstable. My, can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can still hear you. You're good, you're okay, good. good. All right, so um, I get back to UC Davis and I got finals coming up. And I take my finals and, and my coach, Coach Swimley, called me in the office and he said hey hey Tony what are you doing this summer and I said well my my Acura Integra is, is packed with all my stuff and I'm, I'll be I'll be in Orange County in about six hours and then tomorrow I'll be on the beach surfing and you know that, that was my plan to go home for the summer and you know back then division two non-scholarship schools didn't really have a lot of guys playing summer ball you know big time summer ball leagues so he said well change of plans Tony um, you're going to stay here this summer and I got you on a team in Lodi. And I, I swear to God, I think I said, where the hell is Lodi? <laughs> and he said, oh, it's about 45 minutes South of here, Tony. And, um, I got you on a good team. You need to play cause you need to develop. Cause I think you can play at the next level. And that goes back to your point, Austin, of people believing in you. Right. And here's a head coach believing in me. And, I was like, I was torn because I was, you know, it was a long season, College World Series, the whole deal. I was ready to kind of, you know, take a little break, but, you know, you got to keep playing to get better. And so I, uh, I went back, put my stuff back in my apartment. The next day I drove to Lodi, met my coach, um, John Neilmeyer. Um, as I knew it back then, he was a math teacher in the area in Stockton. And I, I was off for playing summer ball in Lodi. And I think we played five, six games a week. Every game was at about 6 p.m. And to me, Austin, it was like, you're, you're on a team. So here's your schedule and, and you go, to, and you go, you, you show up at games, right? I remember that I had teammates that, you know, played at, played at UOP on that team that they lived five minutes away that weren't showing up for games because it was summer ball. And, you know, they showed up when they wanted to. But my mindset was, and I was, you know, born and raised that way, was somebody's making a commitment to you, you're going to make a commitment to them. So I was there early every day, hit the cage, played played those games, played shortstop, played hit leadoff for Lodi Packers, and and um, it was a great summer. And I remember near the end of the summer, um, it was you know, I think it was the last game, and my car was packed. I still had about three weeks left in my summer, so I was going to play the game, jump down the I five, see my family, and then come back in three weeks to UC Davis. And Neil Meyer, the head coach, said, "Hey, I'm going to take the team out for pizza." Um, after the game. And I said, Oh, coach, you know, I, I want to get on the road. And he said, okay, Tony, well, I appreciate everything you did for me this summer. Thank you so much. And I was like, nah, John, thank you, man. You gave me the opportunity to play every day. And he's, and he, I'll never forget what he said. He said, Tony, you, I think you're going to be a coach one day and you're going to really appreciate it when you know you have a guy that you can lean on that's going to be there and answer the bell every single day. I had you written in at leadoff shortstop every single day. And you have no idea what that means to a coach. And, I, and at, the, at the time, I didn't really know, right? I just felt like, hey, I'm on a team. That's where I should be. So I, um, I, I thanked him, and I said, hey, 
um, the way you could pay me back coach is come out, come, come watch me play next year as a junior. It's my draft year and hopefully, you know, things work out and I'd love to have you come see a game. And he said, he, he promised me he'd come to a game. So fast forward to my junior year, um, had a pretty good year, whatever. And, but I looked in the stands every game and I never saw John Neilmar. And then, uh, and, but, and you got to remember, Austin, this is before cell phones. So it wasn't like I could shoot him a text like, hey, where are you? <laughs> no Snapchat so, videos. Yeah, no Snapchat. Like, yeah, get your butt <laughs> over here. <laughs> so, uh, so um, whatever, you know, you know, I just kind of, you know, no big deal. But the, the disappointing thing was I didn't get drafted. And so I kind of was resigned to the fact that I'm going to come back, play my senior year, my fifth year, uh, finish out school and, and head to law school. So I'm playing, I'm playing out my senior year and, you know, we're having another good season whatnot. We fall a couple games short of the playoffs. I'm in my last college game ever and I'm taking ground balls during BP, kind of reminiscent about my career. I remember thinking this is it. This is it for baseball. And I flip one over to first base and right beyond the first baseman in the stands is John Neilmeyer. <laughs> it took him two years to come to a game. So I jog over and I'm like, what? God dang, coach, it took you long enough. And he said, oh, Tony, I've been watching you for the last two years. You just, you just, you just really didn't, haven't noticed. You, one thing you don't know, you, you know me as a math teacher, but I'm also a, a Florida Marlin scout. And I was like, what? And he's like, and this here is Rich Bordy. He's one of our top scouts in the area. And, and he's, here, he's here to sign you to a professional contract. And I, I was, I mean, the last thing I expected, right? And and we sat down as a family after the game and with, with the, with this, with John and Rich and my, and my parents and, and John turned to us and said, listen, Tony, what you did that summer by showing up every single day, two years ago, when nobody, when it wasn't required and, and, and I knew I could depend on you. I, I knew I could put my name on you um, and, and trust you to go out and uh, represent us as, you know, in the, with the Marlins organization. And also you've developed as a player, um, you know, went, went a long way. And, you know, little did I know, this guy was watching me. For, the Marlins were watching me for two years, you know. And so something that I had gone – I can go back to two years prior after my sophomore year going back and playing summer ball and not knowing that that would affect my life two, three – well, geez, 20 years later, right? Um, it's something pretty special. And, and, I, and like I said before, I wasn't going to the games because I wanted to show everybody that, hey, look at me playing summer ball. It was because um, it was a commitment and I loved the game and, and it paid off down the road, so – that's kind of the story I share. And I, you know, I tell kids today when I talk to them that, you know, it, somebody's watching you, you might not, you might be, you might be playing in Gilroy, California on a Wednesday afternoon. And you think nobody's watching you. You never know. That's why you, you run every 90 out. You, 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 you show, you show love for your teammates with every pitch and every play. And so, you know, hopefully that message, if anybody's listening out there, um, you know, they, they learn something from that story. That's an incredible story, man. Just to know that somebody was actually watching you when you had no clue that they were around or that they sure. were tracking you or that they were checking the stat column or that they were peeping around and anything else, all by the, the way you carried yourself and your actions. I think yep. that that's what says the, the most about not only you, but about an athlete that wants to play at the next level or a coach who wants to get to the next level or somebody who wants to take that next step in their career is like, what are you willing to do when it sucks? Like, what are you willing to do when you may seem like you are so far away from your dreams, so far away from your goals and nobody even cares. But in reality, like somebody's been tracking you for so long. I mean, for you two years, like watching around, like you probably even forgot about it. Like he'll never show up. He's never going to come out here. Like, but he's there watching to yeah. keeping tabs on 
I think that goes so far in our life and it teaches so many life lessons and just in that story right there, Tony, I think it's incredible, but it also for any athletes that go out and play summer ball, right? Like some kids and some athletes might think, Hey, summer ball is just a time for me to kick back, chill, hang out, go out, do my thing. And that's about it. And then I'll show up and play baseball later. But in reality, if you really want to get to the next level, if you really want to pursue greatness, you've got to show up and take it serious. Like it's the fall of a, of a spring of a college season. Like, you've got to get in there, you've got to put in the work and you've got to grind because there's people out there watching. There's not only other coaches out there, but there's scouts, GMs, et cetera, and people that have connections to those people, you know? So that's a, I think that's massive, man. It's a great story. There's so many life lessons in it. Now, how do you instill that with your athletes? Because for me, I didn't see any fear in the eyes of your athletes. Like just being out there for a couple of games and being out there throughout the fall, like I didn't see any fear at all. There was no worries. There was no anxiety. The BP was incredible. People were locked in swinging at their pitches. And it, it was honestly a, a beautiful thing to watch. This calm focus. Yes, you were having fun. You were enjoying it. But people were focused on the task at hand. How do you instill that focus yeah, from the beginning I, and that commitment for your athletes? Absolutely. I wish I could tell you from day one in 2015, it, it started, but it didn't. You know, it, it takes time. It, it takes a lot of mm. trust, um, a lot of trial and error. Um, you know, I, and it takes, it takes leaders, I think on a team. I, I truly believe that I could talk all I want to the team and dug out before or after practice, but at some point the leadership in the organization has to believe in it. And then they start passing it through because you, you got young freshmen on the team. They'll listen to me, the coach, obviously, but what are they watching? They're watching the juniors and the seniors, how they take, how they approach stretch, how they approach um, practice, how they approach a certain drill we do, you know, and, and so I think you got to get, it goes from the, the, the top to the, like you said earlier, it starts with the top, right? But for me, that starts with the top of the, with the organ, the leadership in the, within the organization. And then it takes trust. And, you know, one thing I, I think that I've learned over the years and I try to instill in the players is the work that you're doing in practice, it, it, there is no failure whatsoever even if you aren't succeeding in practice, because all you're doing is setting yourself up for success later on. Okay. And, and you have to trust that. So if you got, so like we had a young a third baseman this year and, and he struggled defensively this year and in early in the fall and he was, he was pressing, he was, you know, but I kept hitting him grounders and I, and I could have, I could have eased up on the ground balls, right. I could have hit nice two hop, <laughs> you know, uh, top spin ground balls and he could feel <laughs> good about himself. Right. But I kept hitting balls in the six in the six hole and and working on that first step and he, and he was failing he was failing early in the fall and he was getting hard, he was down on himself but I kept telling him listen listen man you know he's okay if I say his name JB I said JB listen man you know every rep you take you're getting that much closer to being better so yes you might have missed six out of thirty today but those twenty four made you better for maybe three months from now four years from now when you're making every damn play in the six hole. Right? And then you can pass that on to a young freshman down the road. But that takes time, Austin. I, like I said, I really wish I could tell you in 2015 when I got here, you know, it turned it around in 24 hours. But it, 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 took, a few, it took a few years, man. It took guys like Jackson Critch, who was a freshman in 16. And to, to, by the time he was a junior in 18 and 19, you know, senior last year, it took time for those guys to trust and, and, and believe in it and see that the hard work was paying off. And I, that's the only answer I can give you. I don't think there's a magic wand. I, I think if you talk to um, pretty much every coach in the country, they, they, if they took over a program, there, there, was, there was tough times early. 
but you had to, you have to stay positive. And now did I, was I down at times in 15, 16? Absolutely, man. Did I go home and question, you know, is this really, am I doing the right thing every day? Absolutely. I think we all have that doubt at times, but um, I think, I, I think it turned the corner, man, right around 2017, 18. I started, I, I, I started using a word that, and, and, you know, not to be cheesy or anything, but I started using a word and, and it was, it, it's not something I just started to use. It's something I actually believed in and the word was love. And I started mm. telling the guys how much I loved them. And, and you know, it, it, it's corny or whatever it may be, but it's true. I, I absolutely love these guys. And, and I, and I felt more and more comfortable saying it in practice after practice and, and in banquets or, you know, whatever it may be one-on-one -on -one conversations with the guys. And I think, I think it, it's something that we all need to hear, right? That somebody loves me and cares about me and, and trust me. And then, and then at that, at, at that point, you know, it, we really turned a corner. And I, I think that's, if I was to pinpoint anything, you know, it wasn't a, a certain game or a win or what a drill. It was, it was just more of compassion and love for each other that where we, where, you, where we turned the corner. That is amazing, man. I love the fact that you use the love because in a baseball world, a lot of guys out there would be thinking like, love, dude, that's, that's cheesy. That's girly. That's, that's stupid. That doesn't make sense. But guess what? Like when you show somebody else love and that you care, you build the trust, like you talked about earlier and building the trust within your guys. And I mean, you mentioned even going in the dugout, you can talk to them as much as you possibly want. You can beat in the, the best message in the world with the best words and the best structure. But guess what? Like, if none of your leaders carry that on on the team, like, it's never going to trickle down to the entire organization and you're never going to get that full buy-in. But for you, I, I truly believe that vulnerability is so much strength. Like, there's so much strength and vulnerability and so much courage in it and bravery. And that's what you did there is, hey, I'm going to be vulnerable with these guys. I'm going to be real with them. I'm not going to be the head coach that just sits in his office and um, my hours are only open for an hour a day. And that you got to come in from 12 to 1 and that's it. Other than that, don't talk to me. I'm not around. Like, you are open book, man. You're, you're so open with your athletes. And I think that builds so much trust where they truly believe in you as a leader. And they'll do anything for you. I know with Coach Jay Johnson, that's how it was for us. Like there was no fear of failing. There was no fear of, am I going to get in the lineup or are we going to win or anything? It was a, a firm confidence, firm belief um, that we were going to be the best team in the world because he believed in us. And that's what I think some of the best coaches do is they get their athletes to believe in them and to believe in the process and to buy into the team and the motto and the, and, and the organization first and foremost, which is huge. I think that's amazing. Now you talk about the leadership piece. How do you, instill that leadership to some of your athletes and, and is it something like, like is your leadership does it have to be a senior or a junior upperclassman or can no. it be a freshman or sophomore yeah that's a great that's a great question it could be anybody absolutely um i i think you know it's, it's easier for an older guy to be a leader right because it's you know a freshman comes in and he starts yapping day one you know it's like whoa who's this guy you know, <laughs> put, some, put some numbers up bud or something put the brakes on dude come on yeah. it's day two of fall <laughs> right but I, you know that it's so funny leaders don't have to be vocal you know they can just they can be grinders too right at practice going hard every every play like uh you know I, but but how do you how do you develop leaders it you know it's 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 there's so many different ways austin i think you know and and, but I think some of the most important things is you have to be honest with your players. You know, I think kids today, you know, you hear this thing that kids are softer and all that. I don't know, you know, but I think society has just changed, right? And parents have kind of changed a little bit and there's a younger generation. And so, you know, 
it's you know I, I'm just I'm gonna kind of get off subject here for a second, but um, the players put me on the TikTok the other day uh, a couple nice. months ago. Let's every go. now, I, I don't I don't have an account, but I tell you what, I flip through it every now and then, and and you know, you know what I started noticing with it? There's a lot of young parents doing TikToks with their kids, dance videos, and and you know it, it's like it's just but, but it, it reminded me of how society has changed so much. And, um, you know, my mom and dad never would have done a TikTok video with me <laughs> when they were in their 40s. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, my, dad, my dad would have ripped that phone out of my hand, right? <laughs> Thrown it across the street. But, um, but anyways, but I, I think, you, you know, you got to be honest with, with your leaders. You know, if I, if, if I see a young man, like, like I'll give you an example. I, I think our guys are, are, are strong enough that, you know, I use, I can give them examples here. But, like, Jackson Critch is a four-year starter for us, all right? And his sophomore year, he, he, he couldn't get out. He could close his eyes at the plate and get a base hit. He was, I mean, he was hitting 400 most of the year. Every ball he hit was finding a hole, right? But we weren't winning, we weren't winning games. We, weren't, we, we were like, we would win a couple, lose a couple. And, and it was frustrating to him because he was succeeding, but the team wasn't. And I remember having a conversation with him at second base during practice one day, and and – some of the guys were, we were having, bat, it was batting practice and, and a couple of guys weren't swinging very well in batting practice. And we're, we're watching from second base and, and he's getting more frustrated. And he turns to me and he says, Schiff, why can't that guy hit? Why can't that guy just make the adjustment? And I said, well, Jax, it's not that easy, man. You know, as a leader, you got to walk up to him and say, Hey man, what are you feeling? You know, um, you know, uh, what are you looking for in certain counts? You know, that, that's going to help him instead of saying, why can't you hit, you know, or showing mm -hmm. bad body language. You know, I was just honest with Jackson. I'm like, Jackson, you're kind of acting immature right here. You know, you're acting like the spoiled, the brat that just hitting 400 and complaining about everybody else. You need to step up and be a leader, not only at the plate, but with your teammates, man. And there's a sophomore. So that's an example of trying to get a sophomore to be a leader. And I don't know if that Jackson even remembers that conversation, but I came down pretty hard on him. To the point where I, I almost considered not playing on the next game because the way he was acting, to be honest with you. And, you know, I wanted him to be a better teammate. And, you know, Jackson turned the corner. And I'll tell you what, um, I think, you know, he, he had a tough junior year. And I think that humbled him. And we had some heart-to-heart, -heart, honest conversations with each other about, you know, how things can go south pretty quickly. And, you know, and, and how his teammates picked him up his junior year when he was struggling and how much he appreciated that. And then I, I really think, uh, you know, baseball takes care of each other and the, and the game takes care of you. And his senior year this past year, he was the best player in the conference in my mind. You know, I, I think if we, if we had a vote today in the conference, he, he was MVP of the conference. He left his career hitting 400 and he's going to have an opportunity to go play uh, grad school at another, at an, a grad year at another school because he's going to go get his MBA. And, um, you know, but it, I get back to my point is you got to be honest with these kids and you can't just always tell them what they want to hear and you have to come down on them at times. And, you know, and, and I think that builds leadership and communication and, and things of that, of that nature. So, and then on the other side of that coin, other side of that fence, I think you build leaders Austin by listening to your players because mm -hmm. they want, they, they want to have a voice, right? Now, I, I thought Jackson was wrong in that situation, but, but I think he respected that I listened to him, and then I was honest with him. But also, I, I mean, it's funny. Um, last year, the guys came to me, Jackson and a few of the older guys, and said, hey, coach, can we talk to you about something? I said, yeah, what's up? 
Well, um, coach, we think practice is getting a little mundane. It's getting a little repetitious. We would like a little more competition in practice. Um, we'd like maybe more music in practice, a little more upbeat. We're doing the same thing every day and we're, we're kind of, you're, you know, we could be losing a few guys. And I, and I listen to them. And now, and now we have, pra now we have music during practice, you know, and, and it kind of fires me up a little bit and it gives me some <laughs> rhythm when I'm hitting ground balls to the guys and it gives the infielders yeah. some rhythm, gives some hitters some rhythm when they're hitting, you know, and, and, um, and I, I added more competition drills at the end of practice and I saw, and I saw a change, but if I don't think if I didn't listen to them, I, I don't think, I think I could have lost a few of them. Right. Because they they'd be like, Oh, my voice isn't, isn't, um, respected isn't acknowledged. And so I think good communication skills, be honest with your leaders, but also listen to your leaders. Cause we're, I think we're always all evolving and learning every day as coaches. Oh, Tony, that is a huge wisdom nugget. And I love the hashtag wisdom bombs, like just throw it out there, but that's a bomb right there of just listening to your athletes. It's really easy as a coach to get into the, the day-to-day -day situations and get lost in translation and just do your own thing. And it's my way or the highway, but being able to listen and adapt, man. I think leaders are very adaptable with their process and they're always learning new ways. And I mean, it is a new age. Like you're right with society. Like, I don't know if it's necessarily soft. Like a lot of people do think, Hey, it's softer, but I think like you mentioned, it just changed. Like there's so many more distractions that we're dealing with. And there's so many things that we can have at our fingertips with just a snap of our fingers. And at a lot of the times it's tough for, people's voices to be heard. And that's really at the end of the day, as human beings, we just want to be heard. And as a coach, if you're able to listen to your athletes, I think that's massive for building the trust and the honesty and they can believe in you and they know that they can come to you with anything, whether it's on the field or off the field, any struggles in the classroom, struggles at home, they know you're going to listen to them. And I think that's a very reassuring tool and skill set that you've developed as a coach, one and two, that you've instilled into the culture of your program where people can come to you no matter what. And I think that that's why so many people want to come and play for you and your program, and your organization, because of the, the leadership that you've developed over the last few years. It's incredible to oh, watch, man. You. So I need to add one more thing, Austin, in that, you know, yeah. and, and I appreciate you saying, you know, you saying me, you, you, Tony, but, you know, I, and you and I have talked about this, Austin, and how important it is to have, you know, amazing assistant coaches, having mm -hmm. guys that you can trust and, you know, I, Coach Roland, the job he does with our pitchers and, and the program and, you know, and, and bringing you into our program and just he's always thinking outside the box, trying to make the program better. And, and, and when you have great assistants that are going to be great leaders um, beyond, you know, their assistant coaching days, it, it makes my job a lot easier. Trust me. I just want to make sure I add that. No, that's a huge piece, man. Now that, that leads to a new question here that kind of sparked my mind, like, as a head coach now, because you've had it from the associate head coach, you've had it as uh, a multiple, you were a high school coach for a little while. Like, um, just thinking of it from the coaching standpoint, now you have younger guys. Like Cam, he's young, 26, 27. Mm -hmm. um, you've got guys who are young on your staff who are going to be future head coaches ideally one day or, or just really high-level pitching coaches or coaches in general. How do you instill that leadership with them is it a constant communication deal is it very similar to how you work with the athletes or is there anything different because you guys are with each other a lot i mean not just yeah. in practice but outside um, what are some things that you help teach them and work with them on during the season to help build their leadership for the future yeah absolutely I, you know i learned when i got to uc davis um the more you can take off the plate of the head coach where he can trust you to take things on the, the better it's going to be for that the program and the head coach and allow the head coach to kind of 
do other things that are maybe more important than like, you know, some paperwork in the office or things of that nature. It's um, it's grunt work, but it's, it's work you got to do when you're a young assistant coach. Um, but things that we do, um, I, I try to at least once a week, at least in the, definitely in the fall, um, is we go, we go and uh, I, I buy them, I buy them a beer or dinner or whatever it may be um, once a week. And we go out and we share ideas. You know, I, I, I ask guys, okay, hey, how was practice this week? In your in your eyes, be honest. I'm not going to get upset. Tell me what you think. And each guy speaks. What was practice like that week? What, how could it be better? Um, what What's the temperature of the team right now? You know, things of that nature. Um, uh, give me your lineups. If we we always do this in the fall. I mean, like we're like we're like three days into the fall. All right, give me your lineup in in March. <laughs> and it. it's yeah, you know, it's beautiful. And, and you know what's interesting, Austin is especially this year, this coaching staff that we had, we had put together with Matt DeLeon and Matt Allison, uh, Matt DeLeon's, I think, you know, he's 28 years old. He's a young catching coach. He's going to be a great coach one day, uh, you know, a, a head coach one day. And, and Matt Allison has been coaching for 30 years. He coached at Cornell and Cal and, and um, every level, you know, from here to there. And, and, and just here, and then coach, of course, coach Roland. And then I had a player that played for me the last two years as a volunteer, Holly Lopez. And I'd, I'd take them out and, and I'd say, give me your lineups. And every single guy's lineup was different. Like, oh, my God. But, 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 but I would listen to the reasons why they had that guy catching or that guy hitting first. And it was interesting to see, you know, how guy and you learn little nuggets here and there. And, like, Coach Allison's, you know, he, he, he changed – Coach Allison turned, came to me one day and said, hey, why don't, why don't you put this guy in a nine hole? Because Jonah's our leadoff hitter, and, and Jonah flies. But when you have this other guy in a nine hole, and he gets on base, Jonah, he's in front of Jonah, and Jonah can't be who Jonah is. And it changed our lineup. You know, and, and little things like that, I, you know, I, I was missing early in the year. And you, you just you have, to let, you have to let your assistants share their ideas. Now, are you going to accept every single one? No, because that's, that's not your job as a head coach. Your, head, your, your job is to listen. Um, compartmentalize. I can't even say that word, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. And 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 make the right and make the decision you think is going to help your team um, win baseball games. So, um, but giving them a voice, I think, is the most important thing to give make them leaders, and then giving them responsibilities. You know, there was a couple. You know, I, Coach Roland, I'm going to let the cat out of the out of the hat right now. But <laughs> let it rip, man. Yeah, like like there's a couple days this year. Maybe it might have been last year because yeah, I think it was last year where. He really wanted to go see um, this guy play, right? A high school kid or a junior college player, and and I and I made the decision I'm going to go watch it because I wanted Coach Roland to run practice. I wanted him to understand that responsibility, and so you know I, you know I I remember I ran over, watched the young man pitch three or four innings. He was pulled out of the game, and I ran back to practice, and I but I parked up in the parking structure in left field because I wanted to see how practice was going. With, with coach Roland, but I wanted him to have that responsibility. Now he probably didn't know at the time that was the reason, you know, I did it, but that you, you if you want to be a leader and you want to, you want to run a program one day, you gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta be put in uncomfortable situations. So, you know, there's little things like that. Um, um, we, we, we have weekly meetings, but I think the, the one thing I love is, is the road trips. I love road trips because, well, A, we get meal money, and then B, we can go, we can go to Applebee's and as, a, as a staff and we can just break stuff down. 
So, uh, yeah. So, you know, it's, it, I think the sharing of ideas and, and giving them responsibilities, you know, and, 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 and being tough on them. I, I'll be honest with you and coach Roland probably won't admit it, but I'm tough on them. You know, I, I, I have high expectations. I think we had the best pitching staff in the, in the conference this year and the numbers are, can, can, can prove it. And I, I still am on them all the time. Like, Hey, we're giving up too many two strike hits, man. You know, I want to keep, you got to keep pushing. You got to keep getting them not, not to ever feel satisfied, but also make them feel, you know, valuable at the same time. Oh, making them feel valuable, man. Now that, there's so much good stuff in that, Tony. I think it's cool. I love the Applebee's aspect. Hey, let's go out to Applebee's, man. Let's break <laughs> it down. Show me your lineup. Show me what you think. And, oh, beautiful. Um, that is so cool, man. I, I like the, uh, uh, what's it called? They had some critter things. Maybe that's Chili's where they got those little critters, but some chicken <laughs> nuggets, dude, they're so good. Um, but no, I think it's it's awesome just to hear that perspective of empowering your your staff yeah. to, hey, here, what do you think? What do you see? Maybe you see something different than me. Same with your athletes. Maybe you see something different than me. How can we make this better for everybody? How can we enhance the culture here? How can we enhance our progress, our development? Um, our results on the field and um, how do we push each other to get to that level it's, is the best thing so just hearing some of that stuff and really rang a bell because it's it's the characteristics of champions and of championship yeah, and, teams. And, and, and for all those you know I, and I still consider myself a young coach I'm still learning every day but for all those very young coaches <laughs> that are in their 20s and 30s <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna open up conversations like that make sure you have thick skin because you're gonna hear things you don't you don't want to hear you know, and Ooh. you're gonna have to go home and you're gonna have to, you know, write that stuff down and, and look at it and say, okay, and look and look in the mirror and say, okay, do I really need to adapt as much as, you know, say my assistant coach is telling me I need to? Because there's times I hear things like, you know, hey, uh, you know, Coach Allison has been, you know, he said, hey, you're, you've been pretty hard on, on so-and-so, you know, in, in his person, and he'll tell me his personality doesn't really uh, respond to that kind of leader, you know, that kind of, um, whatever it may be, you know, riding a guy, you know, pretty hard, but where I think it's, I'm trying to get the best out of them. But so you, you got to have thick skin as a coach. And, and if you're going to, you're going to open up to, you know, um, opinions with your assistant coaches and your players. So that's one thing I've learned too, is, uh, is to have thick skin. Oof, I love that. I love that. Now I got two things for you, Tony. One, you mentioned earlier, the failure aspect, like, like embracing failure, like, Hey, let's know that every time we fail, we're going to be one step closer to success at some point. You hitting the ground balls at third base, um, forcing him to get in the hole, forcing him to get out of his comfort zone, forcing him to to fail a little bit to know that, hey, you're going to be prepared when the time calls. Um, I know I talked with one of my, my good friends. He coaches down at University of San Diego, Ray McIntyre. We actually had a, a talk yesterday on how to get our how to build confidence for our athletes. And he mentioned the same thing, like we're going to fail in practice and we're going to embrace failure every single day because it's going to help set us up for success when the time calls in the game where we are now prepared and we are ready to go and we are confident that we can get the job done. So for you, I've got two questions and maybe they go hand in hand, but one, how do you embrace failure? Not only as a coaching staff and as a coach, but an athlete, and how do you build that thick skin? Is there a way to build some thick skin? Is it just, Hey, you got to adapt or, or you got to run? Like, how do you build, thick skin as a coach when it's tough to hear some of these things yeah so you're referring to the player how do you build that with a young man struggling yeah, yeah how do you just how do you just encourage your athletes to embrace failure oh how to embrace failure? that's a great question mm -hmm. wow that's a great question it's a it's a it's a tough thing to do because you don't want to see anybody fail right and and everybody wants success but uh i think i think it goes back to a few of the things i said earlier about being honest with them and showing them mm -hmm. love 
And, um, you know, it's as simple as saying, I, I think sometimes just sitting them down and maybe getting away from the game, the actual ground balls and just talking to them in the dugout. And, you know, I'll tell them a story you know, about how I, I, this is incredible. Austin, every single spring training I went to, we started off with Papa Priority the Blue Jays, the Marlins, whoever I played with, we always did pop-up priority to start for some reason. It was a big deal back, back in the day. And I dropped every single year. I dropped the first fly ball. I don't know what it was. <laughs> it was in my head. I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> I knew, I knew I was going to drop it. And, and it was embarrassing and it was hard. It was failing. But, um, but, but, but I think that vulnerability that you show to a player that that you that you failed as, at at one point in your career, you know, and but you persevered, and and so I think you have to show some vulnerability, if to be honest, um, and then and and like Coach McIntyre said, keep working, man. You know, it, it it's getting you're gonna, it, hard work's gonna pay off. It'll pay off. It might not pay off, and you got to keep telling the players it's not. It might not pay off tomorrow. You know, you, I might put you in the game tomorrow on the doubleheader, and, and you might make three errors. Okay, that, that's that could happen. You know, sorry, that's life. But three weeks from now, a month from now, in the playoffs, when you have to make that one play, you're prepared because you, you're practicing every day. So vulnerability, honesty, communication, love, hard work, it all, it all goes hand in hand in getting that guy to embrace uh, failure. That is massive. And that's absolutely massive. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, it's funny you mentioned dropping the first pop-up. I remember trying to take the first swings of going into spring training. And no matter how much you prepared, you felt like a stiff brick going up to the plate. And you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, I don't care if it's the, the Little League World Series guy pitching on the mound or it's Clayton Kershaw, man. I'm probably going to swing and miss. And it's going to be really stiff and look really ugly. But um, you, you relate to the vulnerability of being able to relate to the athletes. And I think now more than ever, maybe back in the day a little bit, um, even in the 90s and, and early 2000s when it was more of like tough guy sport of baseball where like let's show toughness. Let's, let's show that we're tough and bigger and stronger than everybody and um, we're more mentally tough in a different way. Like we're going to run, we're going to take a boot camp out here. And I think that's one way to develop it, but I don't think it's the best way personally. I think the best way is relating to the kids today. And whether that's a youth athlete, whether that's a college athlete or a professional athlete, being able to relate because we all have this thick skin as athletes where we don't want to let anything in and we're not going to give anything out. But as coaches, when we relate with vulnerability, we open the door for that success and that honesty and that truth to come out to where, hey, man, I failed. I struggled. It wasn't easy. I wasn't highly recruited. I wasn't, I went through some, some battles as a, a college athlete. I went through some battles as a professional athlete. I went through some battles in my coaching career, but guess what? It led me here to be able to share these stories with you to make sure that this doesn't happen for you in your career to help you get to that level. So um, you mentioned the building the thick skin and as a coach, I think it's tougher than an athlete to develop for some reason, just because there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of different uh, outside deals you got to deal with. You got to deal with the media, the school, the compliance, the coaching staff, your athletes, the families, et cetera. How do you handle the day-to-day -day as a head coach at a high level um, with all the stresses and pressures that may be going on around you that are totally out of your control? Yeah, uh, breathing. I, it's something that I've, <laughs> nice. I've, I've honestly deep breaths. I and, and staying organized you, you got I, I'm a big note taker and I, I truly believe in the power of crossing a note out after you accomplish it it is the most satisfying feeling of a page of notes that a, a to-do list and then start and when you start crossing out three or four of them you feel like you're accomplishing something it's like you got three hits in a ball game it, it's, it's mm. an incredible feeling um, but breathing is there there are times when when it's overwhelming and I'll, I'll you know I'll, 
uh, go into the office or walk out of the office onto the quad at school and just take a deep breath. It's amazing how much you can let out. Um, yeah, there's so much on your plate as a head coach. You know, you're getting hit from compliance. You get hit from the athletic director. You're getting hit from, you know, players. And um, it's not only baseball stuff. You know, you got guys, you know, texting you or calling you, hey, coach, I'm having a tough day with family, work, girlfriend, whatever it may be. And, 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 and I, I give guys days off. I, I say, hey, go home, man. You know, take a day off. You know, practice is not the answer today for you. But, but it, it's there if you want it. You know, if you want to be around the guys and, and forget about things for three hours, you know, you can, it's there. But if you need to go home and, you know, and just get ahead with school or something, please go ahead. You know, you're not going to be penalized or anything. Um, but that, that, that goes back to the open communication. They got to feel and trust that they can, they can talk to you about that stuff. But for me, it's um, being organized with notes, trying to get ahead of things, trying to think of things. Okay, if I, if I have this many things this week, what, what do I have on top of this two weeks from now? And, uh, and, um, and, and just put, jotting down notes like crazy and to-do lists. And like I said, crossing them off feels, it's, a, it's an unbelievable feeling for me. Now, some people, you know, I, they, don't, they don't do that and they, they keep everything in their head. I, I can't do that. I'll forget things because there's something new comes up every single day. You know, I had a, it's funny. I had a, um, <laughs> during the school, during the year this year, I think back now, I mean, guys were sick in, the, in January, Jesus, hopefully nobody had the virus on our team, but, <laughs> um, but you know, I had a guy text me at 10 o'clock at night. Hey coach, I got a fever. What should I do? I'm like, <laughs> Oh my gosh. It comes from every ankle, right? You know, it's 10 o'clock <laughs> Take some, drink some Gatorade, take some Tylenol, <laughs> you know, you'll be, you'll be okay. But you know what? It's, it's okay. I, you know, I, you know, I, you know, it feels good that they reached out and trust that you know, I can help them. But uh, um, yeah, man, for me, it's, 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 I learned a few years ago, how important controlling your breaths are controlling your, uh, your inner temperature, your inner, you know, your inner chill. So yeah. <laughs> let's go. I love that, Tony. I love it. And you mentioned a couple of things in there, one writing things down. There's a lot of power in that. And and now I'm going to use the fact of actually crossing them off because I keep too many things in my head, man. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's just, uh, I for, you forget. You naturally just forget, like, wh where am I at? I need to see some progress. I'm not seeing progress. Well, guess what? If you crossed it off, maybe you would see that progress and or see it as progress. So that's a, a huge nugget that I'm going to start using now of the crossing it off aspect rather than just writing it all down, but getting it out of your head, man, and being able to take that deep breath. A lot of people look at the breath as, it's something that's kind of cheesy too, like the love, but guess what? It's so simple. It's free. Nobody's charging you to take a deep breath. It's available to us every single day. And it's something that can totally reset our mind and the chemistry in our mind to help us get back to square and home base and just be our best versions, especially when you're getting hit from all angles or you get that call at 1030 at night or even 12 at night and saying, coach, I'm, I'm struggling. Like, I don't know what to do. Um, I've got a test. I've got this. I got that. Like being able to get through that is massive, man. And then staying organized. Uh, that's a great tidbit there for coaching staffs because we all know, man, it's got to be tough when you've got all these things going on. But being able to organize your schedule, organize what's going on, can definitely help eliminate some of that stress for sure. Hey, now, and Austin, I, I think it's yeah. I think you're absolutely right. And I think what what you what you gotta know as a coach and what you learn is you as you, you know, the more you, you do it is that that it translates right over to the baseball field, right? So say you have a lot of stuff on your to-do list and in your personal life and work, it, you know, it's the same, it's, it mirrors the, it's a, it's a mirror image of when things are going like chaos in a game, right? Your, your starters cruising and you're up three, nothing. It's a six inning before you know it, he's hit a batter on an O2 pitch. The slider got away. Guy gets a blue pit. You know, your, your pitching coach walks up to you and goes, Hey, he's at a, he's at 110 pitches. You know, who do you get hot? 
you know, um, blah, blah, blah. Everything's going real very quickly. And I think it, if you just, you can, there's one of two things you can do. You can panic or you can take a deep breath as a coach and, 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 and just assess things and make the right decision. And, you, and the thing about that also is the players are looking at you. The players are watching how you respond in those situations. Everybody knows how to respond when things are going well, right? When you're up 10 to one and you're laughing, having a good time, everything's great. But when things are going and things are in chaos, they're, they're looking, they're, they're, their eyes are looking down the, at the end of the dugout, like how's coach responding and, you know, how's your pitching coach responding? How's your hitting coach responding if you guys were getting one hit and see eighth inning, right? So, you know, your body language. And, and I learned that. I, trust me. I, when I first got into coaching, man, I was a mess. I was the, I was the clipboard against the <laughs> wall guy. You know, how are we not hitting this guy? It's like the second inning, right? I'm like panic mode in the second, <laughs> you know, and it, it, it took, it, it took a lot of time. And I honestly, I was at the point in my career where I was almost out of the game because I, I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't slow things down. I couldn't see the bigger picture, I guess, if you will. Right. And, you know, if, I, if there's any advice out there for young coaches is, if you have if you have some, if you have a, a plan that you believe in and you're and you and you know how to take things slowly and, and see the bigger picture and you work hard and you have things that you believe in hustle and and effort and you make those things important down the road eventually things will turn your way because you're doing the right things and you know and I, I see that now looking back it's hard to see in the moment trust me because you want to win so bad because you want to keep your job and you want people to respect you and think that you're a good coach. Right. But in the end, if you, if you, what we teach our players, you have to walk the talk. So. Mm, that's huge, man. That's huge. You mentioned, even just with the note taking again, you mentioned that. And I remember going in uh, early this spring and, and we had the athletes all in a room and um, I think we were going over like some core values and just digging into like, what's our model for the year? What, what, what are we about? Like what defines us as a team? And, I remember looking over and there's 35, 40 athletes, however many athletes were in the room. And there's maybe two or three guys with, with notepads and a pencil. And I look over to my right and there's you who had no business taking notes and who had no business, could have said, I played 10 years of professional baseball. I've coached all these different places. I don't need to write any of this down. You got a, a freaking notepad and a pencil or a pen. And I'm like, what the heck? It, it rattled me. Honestly, I looked over like five minutes <laughs> in. I'm like, well, he's writing stuff down. Like, here's a coach that I like highly respect that I learned something from every time that I talk with him and he's taking notes. And it goes back to even, I was at a, an FCA event in Arizona a couple years ago and it was in December uh, for the Fiesta Bowl. And so there's LSU and some other team there, Central Florida, I think like two pretty good programs. And there was a guest speaker, and I forget his name, but he played with the Lakers for 15, 20 years back in the day. He's 68, 69 years old. Um, massive guy, massive guy. And he was the guest speaker. But when he stepped off the stage, he stood off to the side. And, and I'll never forget this. There's thousands of people in the room. There's two of the best programs in the nation, two of the best head coaches in the nation in football. And he's taking notes. He's 68, 69 years old and he's taking notes. And I was like, all right, uh, maybe this is an omen for me to pull out my freaking notepad and start taking some dang notes and start getting after this. Cause these successful people are doing it. Like why not copy genius? Absolutely. I'll tell you where I, where I, I learned it from my dad. He was a big note guy and he had the, he had the yellow uh, legal pads, you know, when I was growing up all over the house and he scratched things out to do list, everything. But I also learned it. Um, I go to those coaches' conventions every year in January throughout the country. 
you know, the big co national coaching convention. And there's probably, I don't know, maybe 5,000 coaches in a room and there's a, a new speaker every 45 minutes. I, I don't know if you've been to one of those yet, Austin, but um, they're fantastic. And what I, I 5,000 people in the room, guess who sits in the first five rows? Coach Corbin from Vanderbilt, Coach Kindle from Arizona back in the day, Hall of Famer. Um, some of the greatest coaches in the game, they sit in the first five rows. And, and, and they, go to the, they go to the presentations when high school coaches are teaching bunny. And I'm like, if, if Coach Corbin can take notes, a high school coach teaching bunny, I better get my butt in there with my notepad, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, but, hey, hey, I just pulled up on my computer my Austin Byler presentation notes. I'm just going to give you a few nuggets that you taught our team that day. Talking about, <laughs> talk about internal health as well, motivation, ambitious, willing to learn, teammates. That's your internal strength, right? Your ex external, social media. Things are these are things that affect you, right? Social media, weather, opinions, the identity of our team. This is what our five. This is what our team decided that day: confidence, family, depth, grit, and unity. And then you asked them, "How? Where do you want to be? How do you become a champ?" And our answers were accountability, same page, be a good teammate. And then you asked them how they're going to do that on a daily basis. And we said, gratitude, we're going to write in our journals. We're going to visualize. We're going to meditate. We're going to listen to podcasts, positive reading, and take cold showers. That's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Take the cold showers. Uh, so, yeah, there's my uh, notes that you, on that day right there, bud. Dude, that fires me up, man. Now I'm ready to run through a wall. And I'm gonna, I might go back to the swamp. I might just take a jog up to San Francisco. I'm in Arizona right now, but it's a quick, it's a quick two-day jog for your boy out here. It might take me a while, but um, that fires me up, man. I love that. And just having that open mindset, man, um, the abundance mentality of always being open to change, open to growth, like sitting in the front row, not like, I don't want to say checking the ego necessarily, because I think you got to have a little ego to be good and to be great and to have greatness inside of you. But um, dumbing down the ego, being, knowing when to hold it back and open yourself up with that vulnerability piece uh, is huge. But Tony, this has been incredible, man. And um, I'm just honored to, to one, get to know you and get to uh, be a part of your program and just see the impact that you've had with your athletes. But before we go, man, last question, I'll be respectful of your time. Like, what is your favorite part about being not only just a head coach, but a coach and a mentor to your athletes? Like, is it seeing them leave with success? Is it seeing them on the field having success? Is it just getting to know them and build those relationships? Like, what is your favorite part about coaching? That's a great question, man. Way to end it. Um, yeah, I, I wish I could tell you one thing, but there's so many damn things. But I, I'll give you an example of, this happened yesterday, and it, 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 it speaks to why we do this and, and, and probably one of my favorite things. Uh, you know, we have 14 seniors this year and, and each scene, I, I offered each senior the opportunity to come back and play their extra year of eligibility due to the virus. And we got a handful of guys coming back and a handful of guys that are going to move on with their lives. And I was talking to one of them that's moving on with his life yesterday. He had, he'd made a decision within the last 24 hours with his family. And I, I saw it as an opportunity to, to thank him and for all his work and everything. And, and he took the opportunity on the phone call and he just, like I, I couldn't get a word in and, and he was just so thankful for all the life lessons that he learned and for giving him an opportunity when nobody was giving him opportunity after his junior college career. And he we got a little bit emotional and he, uh, but he said one thing, he said, coach, I'm now prepared for life and I'm going to be successful, mm. whatever I do. And I want to thank you for, for that. And, and he said, coach, you might not know it, but all your talks in the dugout about, um, 
this, this is, this is, this, it's not about always about the wins and losses. It's more about being coming a man, being coming a better son, friend, father down the road. Uh, it, we, we hear you coach. You might not know it, but we hear you. And we talk about it when we're not you know with you or you know, when we're, we're playing cards together or whatever we're doing, you know, going to movies, going downtown San Francisco. We, you've had an impact on my life and, and I'll never forget that. And, and for me right there, that's what it's all about. You know, you know, yes, dog piling on the mound when we went to the playoffs the first time, you know, in CCAA history in 2018. Absolutely. Uh, I, that, that's, the, that's the things that, that make me excited too. But getting that phone call yesterday and just hearing that I made an impact on somebody's life and my, and my coaches did. And it, I'd say that's probably Trump's everything. I hate to use that wow. word Trump because, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Hey, it's all good, man. Free flowing on here, man. But that's, yeah. I, I, that's I'm speechless, speechless because it's a testament to what you've created. It's the testament to you and your coaching staff and how you guys not only just talk the talk, but you walk the walk. And in, in, and in the behind closed doors, like you are continually learning and growing and developing yourselves to be the best versions um, of yourself for your, your squads and for the kids, man. And these guys are looking up to you every single day. And um, I know just for me, when I'm there, I'm watching, I'm watching the whole coaching staff and how you interact with your players and, and how they trust you guys and, and how they're always asking questions and they're open to learning. They're not afraid to walk away and, and to make a mistake. They're not afraid to say something stupid. Like they're having fun. It's incredible, man. And getting to know some of these guys, just talking with them on the phone throughout the year and just being of guidance uh, to the squad. Like they care about you. And they love who you are because you've embodied that leadership. You, you, you know how to, to lead a team and a program and to get these guys to buy into the message that you have for them. And it's more than just a sport, man. We know, you know, as well as I do, we all do that. This game ends one day for us at some point it's going to end and we've got to step into the real world. And how are we going to step into that unknown and be prepared as prepared as we possibly can. And that's what you've done for these guys. So Tony, I appreciate everything you've done, man. And for coming on here and just spitting some wisdom nuggets for the crowd here and, and helping a lot of people. There's so much that we can take out of this. There's so much that I learned out of this um, from start to finish. And I'm just extremely grateful for what you've done and, and the, the mentorship that you've provided for me throughout my career so far. Thank you, brother. I, uh, you know, I look back and, and Austin, you were a hell of a ball player. That's no, there's no doubt in that, man. I mean, you were just, you were a tremendous player, but I think you found your calling and, and what you're doing with your life and, and your, and your program right now is your, is your developing leaders throughout the country. And I think if there's anything we've learned in the last three months, last two months is how important leadership is. Right. And uh, mm. we're all looking for leadership right now and, and how to get out of this and move forward in our lives. But uh, I appreciate you spending time with my team, it, you have no idea what it means to me, man. And I'll just end it with this. I love you, brother. <laughs> I love you too, Tony. Let's go, man. And All we'll right. send a shout yeah, out hey, to Cam hey. Rowland too, as always. <laughs> yeah, we love Cam. Who doesn't love Coach Rowland? Oh, legend. Well, I appreciate you, Tony. Thanks for popping on, man. We'll be in touch here soon. Take care, brother. See you. Later, man.